What is going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Summit Chasers podcast. Very excited to welcome Mark Hawkridge onto the show. He comes to us with a ton of experience and a ton of knowledge from moving up the ranks at IBM to running and operating small businesses as the CEO. He has great insights into business strategy, and we talk about the importance of diversifying your lead generation sources, how policies coming down the pipeline could disrupt lead aggregators and other lead generating sources in general, and overall business strategy with case studies and real life examples to boot. So please sit back, get your notebooks out and grab maybe a, an avocado with some salt, something that's not very loud when you chew, so you can still pay attention when you're eating, and maybe some water with lemon and cucumber. Ooh, sounds refreshing. And enjoy the show. But I'm going to start it off with just saying thank you for being here, genuinely. Anybody that can come on and we just start talking about dogs right away is, is a win in my book. Uh, but Mark, I'm really excited to have you on. Uh, before we get into the meat and potatoes of this, uh, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and some of the great successes that you've had? Yeah, so um, I'm currently the CEO of Property Radar. Uh, we help small businesses uh, with hyperlocal lead generation uh, to identify and connect with their next best prospect. Um, my my journey has been um, pretty diverse. I started with uh, IBM, about a decade with IBM, um, and uh, from there decided to uh, start flexing my entrepreneurial muscle a little bit, or maybe developing it <laughs> before flexing it. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, started a company uh, called Customer Link uh, in the very tail end of 99. And, um, and that business was um, marketing automation for small businesses. Specifically, we've started focusing on automotive service providers, so everything from small independents up to uh, larger chains like Midas, Meineke, and Amco, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the tail end of that, started diversifying into uh, other areas. Uh, home services was kind of the next uh, pin there. Um, Anyway, built that business up over the course of like a 14-year run. It's a pretty long run and oh, ultimately wow. sold it to Intuit. Um, and okay. uh, Intuit, of course, had at the time a very strong foundation, still do, in small business. Um, but they were on the back office, right? So the accounting mm -hmm. side. And uh, they had a desire to break into front office and kind of have more round uh, offering for that long tail of small business customers. And so... Uh, we were uh, an acquisition uh, for them. And um, yeah, from there, uh, you know, took a little bit of time off uh, right after that just to kind of regroup, but then, you know, got into a number of other um, businesses, uh, both, you know, either as kind of a hired leader or co-founder in some cases. Um, and, uh, but almost all circling around that small business marketing and small business ecosystem. Um, and then uh, a couple of years back, uh, got a little bit outside of that. I was still focused primarily on small, local, or regional businesses, but um, got into the commercial real estate prop tech space and, uh, and also was doing some individual consulting for um, a few companies and, um, and ultimately found myself you know, uh, back in this small business uh, ecosystem. Uh, mm -hmm. This time, uh, you know, with a bit of a slant into real estate or property centric businesses, but, uh, but still with the, the same intention to help small businesses compete and thrive. And, mm -hmm. um, and that's really my passion point. I was about to say, that seems to be where your passion is. You kept leading back to the small business space. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I've often told the story about, you know, I come from a very entrepreneurial family, um, you know, whether it be my, my mom and my dad, we had a coffee shop, we had a lumber yard at one point, we had, you know, an automotive repair shop, which led to the customer link thing. Um, you know, we had um, on the other sides of the family had, you know, bakers and florists and you, know, you name it. And so I had this background I, and I kind of have always positioned it as well. I grew up in that entrepreneurial environment, had that entrepreneurial spirit. But I think really, and this really just kind of hit me actually last week, I was doing some uh, introspection on this and um, kind of the, the premise of, you know, your greatest gift lies right next mm -hmm. to your, your biggest pain. <laughs> and, uh, and so I think growing up in an entrepreneurial family, um, you know, I, I certainly grew to appreciate the ability to shape your own destiny and have control and not report to somebody mm -hmm. else and all of those things that come with it. But I also saw firsthand the challenges that come with being a small business. I mean, the mm -hmm. not having the experience and the wherewithal to do it really well. And so the struggle that came with it and, you know, as it manifested for me, I mean, it was always that challenge of like, you know, what's tomorrow hold? Do we have, you know, enough to get through. And, and mm -hmm. uh, so there was, there was this awareness of the financial challenges and, and of the stress that occurs within the families and, and um, as the business owner. And, and so um, I think that maybe more so than just the exposure to small business was the thing that really sparked a passion for me. And so now when I think about it and I think about the work that we did at customer link and, and other businesses along the way, um, it's really been, about can I make an impact on that small business? Can I help them send their kids to college? Can I help them buy their first home? I mean, these you know, realize these life milestones, and and that really is the thing that um, gives me the most intrinsic value. And and so uh, I think that's ultimately my real driver. It's more the pain of uh, having been through an entrepreneurial upbringing uh, rather than just the exposure to it. Well, that's something, maybe that's why I was drawn to you because we have a very similar passion when it comes to uh, helping these small business owners create the life that they, I mean, I'm sure that they're in the dream that they had when they started the business wasn't to have a job where you work a hundred hours and you're unsure where your next paycheck's <laughs> going to come from. Right, right, exactly. Um, yeah, they, they certainly aspired for something else and, and probably also, you know, it's always, uh, sunshine and roses when you're thinking about what it could be once you get into it and you're living it every day and you know dealing with the, the real world challenges it's a whole different thing you find out if you really want it you're like nah, i kind of liked my 401k and dental and all this kind of stuff right i mean i had i had somebody on my um, our other one of our other segments the uh, startup success series and i asked them blatantly i was like what advice would you have to individuals who have you know the corporate nine to five and they have a problem that they want to solve or have a great idea and they want to get in and start their own business. He just like right at me. I, I could feel it too, even though it's through a screen. He's like, don't do it. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> elaborate, but I see where you're going with that. But yeah, you have you to know, be very prepared for, go ahead. Me too, but I, I think um, the other side of that is it is, a, it is a great way to live and it is a great way to build mm -hmm. uh, wealth and build legacy. If, and uh, it's not easy. There's a ton of pain in it, but um, it, it is a very viable uh, path for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I still highly encourage it. And um, I wouldn't say steer clear. I'd say go in eyes open, go in knowing that mm -hmm. there's going to be these additional challenges. And 
and also yeah. be willing to uh, seek out and accept help along the way. Just because you're striking out in, in, you know, into the wild as, as an entrepreneur doesn't mean you have to go it alone. Yeah. And, um, we can we can aggrandize the the you know the solopreneur uh, adage, but it's not a successful solopreneur is not doing it solo. There's probably a few mentors and yeah. people that are around them that are supporting them in, in doing so. Other people that have made mistakes so they can make a few less. Right. right. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Definitely. It's it's one of those things. I, I almost liken it to like go watch Lord of the Rings and then imagine that you're Frodo. And if you're willing to go through that, it's worth it. And I like what you said about legacy. And also, I think, I mean, so much innovation in our future really rides on problem us, well, people, not us, but like people on the front lines, identifying a problem or seeing an innovation or seeing a, an opportunity and going out and taking advantage of it and creating it. And a lot of times that, that happens with the startups. It happens with the small business owners. There's a great friend of mine who was on a podcast a couple of times, Ron, Ron Newsbaum. He was in, he was a, he's a veteran. He was in the Marines. Um, and then he was in construction, noticed a lot of issues uh, in communication between uh, the contractor and the client and the customer. And he's like, I, I think I can solve this. Right. And then yeah. he bootstrapped it. And now builder comms are going to be in the top 20 fastest growing uh, tech startups in the home improvement industry. Like it's, that's where, I mean, I'm not saying everybody that has a great idea is, is meant to do that, but if everybody shied away from it, then we wouldn't have, we wouldn't create the future that I think that we could. And I think a lot yeah, more of them. I totally agree with that. And, and the other thing, you know, that jumps out at me as you're talking about that is that I think along my journey, at least, I've realized that you don't necessarily have to have the huge innovative idea. It, it doesn't no. have to be uh, the world changing. It just maybe you're able to do it better or you're able to do it with more specificity, more um, local customization or whatever that thing is that differentiates yep. you. And quite honestly, having a boring business may be a better strategy in a lot of cases than mm -hmm. you know, trying to chase the, the, the shiny object. No, I couldn't agree more. Boring businesses are sometimes the, or a lot of times the most lucrative. Okay. <laughs> well, then we get into like these different, you also have to look at the type of environment you're getting yourself into. And this is where yeah. I think that we can segue a little bit into like strategy. If you like the boring businesses typically are in a more what you'd call like a classical or forecastable type of environment where the industry is fairly established. You can forecast ahead of time. You can, you can plan for, you know, five, 10 years in the future type of thing. And then, but then there's individuals who get it, like, especially in the tech space, uh, they get into it and, like you're, you can't, you plan 10 years. You can have a nice, like, I'd like to be here in 10 years. I'd like to make an exit or IPO or whatever it is in 10 years, but it's not, there's, there's you got to plan like even a quarter ahead of time because things change so fast yeah. and the bulk of your strategy is around experimenting at that point. So just understanding kind of what environment you're getting into as well. But one thing that I kind of wanted to, to start it off here, I think it'd be a good segue to kind of organically get into some other topics is around how you get your lead, lead lead generation. There's so many things that change all the time. And it's not just even policy and technology. It's just buying habits of the people. The market psychography adjusts over time. When new things come out, it's the way they shop <laughs> changes. They become yeah. privy to things a lot quicker because information is so much more readily available. So what would your advice to be, advice to a small business owner when they, they have one, they've almost, I don't want to say mastered because you can't really truly master a, a lead generation. Um, 
avenue or discipline, but let's say they rely heavily on one, what would your advice be to them to why they should diversify? And then how do they diversify when they've been <laughs> so focused on just one source? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point and question. I think, um, I mean, first I would say that uh, more often than not, from my vantage point, uh, people haven't even mastered the one. Um, I see people <laughs> struggle with the, the concept and, and um, execution of lead generation. Uh, it's, it's often very foreign, especially to a small business. And you think about, like, you know, think about my, my dad who started an automotive repair business. He did that because he loves cars. He's exceptionally gifted at uh, troubleshooting and, and working with his hands and understanding systems and, and also really good at interacting with uh, customers. He was exceptional at being empathetic and, and being helpful. But he didn't really understand the first thing about how to go generate new leads and, and interest for the business. Um, it was really a fear point. And I think I, this is one of the things I've, I've seen so many times just over and over again with small businesses that, um, and even in business, big business, uh, but um, is that you you don't have certainty of how to do it and, and how to do it well. And there's always this uh, anxiety around the, the money you're spending. Is it is it fruitful or not? Um, most times they don't have good measurement systems in place. And so it's kind of gut feel, you know, they're, placing a newspaper ad, they're sponsoring a little league team and they're doing whatever these, these things that are coming at them are. And that's the other part is a small business. You're inundated with all of these opportunities to participate in various marketing and advertising uh, channels. And you don't Shiny really object know, syndrome yeah. is. Yeah. It's really, you know, who's, who's best at convincing you on, on a given day uh, where to put your dollar. And, um, and so anyway, I think as I look, back and, and even currently this the thing I notice is that people just have a ton of uncertainty um, there's many many things they can spend their dollar on and uh, and it all feels like a bit of a crapshoot um, so I mean I think there's that but I also really strongly believe you know as a small business um, you know you're in the business of automotive repair you're in the business of pest control whatever it is but but really the one of the core tenets of that is being able to stimulate interest and activity in the form of leads. And so you're in the business of lead generation, you're in the business of selling, whether you see it that way directly or not. And, um, and I think that's an important lens uh, to look through because uh, if, until you recognize that, you can be a little bit haphazard in, about how you go about it. Um, so anyway, I think that that's kind of where I start at with this is that I just don't see a lot of people that are really good at it. Um, mm -hmm. Those that are, um, whether they've found something that works for them, they stumbled into it, or or they purposely went after something that was um, a good idea for them, um, then to your point, the there's importance in diversifying. There's an importance uh, in making sure you have multiple channels performing for you. Um, and I believe for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is if you're doing one channel, it's working really well for you. You just don't know what's around the corner. Mm -hmm. um, example, you know, right, a topical example right now is, you know, there are folks that have found a lot of success with TV and radio. Well, guess what? If it hasn't happened already in the next couple of months, 
buying that airtime against all of the political ads that are going to be run is going to be really, really hard. And so all of a sudden, you know, the, the thing that you're writing just evaporates or becomes so costly that you can't afford to do it at the scale you need. So um, some things like that, I mean, you know, it's an election year, you can anticipate, um, but there's plenty of other things that happen that you're just not aware of. And there's regulation changes that you, you, know, you and I have talked about. Um, and, um, and that can all of a sudden just dry up a channel. So you really have to have multiple paths that are working for you. And the other part of that is I think that to the degree you diversify, especially in, as a, in a small local business, um, you have an opportunity to create more of an imprint on for your brand by utilizing multiple mechanisms versus just one. And, um, and even, you know, I think sometimes we get so myopically focused on uh, the lead generation component of it. Did it generate a lead? Did they then purchase? And how much revenue did I get from it? Um, but there's another side of that. I mean, to the degree you are establishing a constant cadence of marketing, advertising, you know, uh, you're also building a brand, a local brand, and uh, and that stays. That that lasts beyond just that lead, and it touches many more people. And so that's um, also a really critical component, I believe, in the strategy. No, I think a lot of people they're they're. I mean, especially if they struggle at first to get that first lead, first customer, or the next 10, whatever it is. And they, they finally find the thing that, that at least kind of works. They can see it, you know, at least it's green in the ROI from an ROI standpoint. Right. Then they, they kind of go all in on that. And then it's, it's that inertia by proxy, right? It's, it's working. So why should I change? Well, they're, they're, like you said, like a policy could come through that doesn't work. You get yeah. an election that could totally screw things up uh, and a uh, uh, COVID. COVID yep. could happen. And then you yep. all of a sudden, and then even uh, like Facebook and Google, I don't know about Google, but I know Facebook is just, it's so much more expensive now and tougher to uh, like your, your ad revenue is just, it's huge or not ad revenue. Sorry. Ad cost is huge on those platforms. So you're just as much as you can to control your own destiny as possible. And there's one route that we were, we were talking about beforehand, which is like aggregators, like third party. Yep. Um, basically you're just buying leads from people who you're basically yeah. buying them from their ads, right? They're generic ads. And there's a policy that's coming through if it hasn't already. Um, <clears throat> do you mind shedding a little bit of light on that really quickly? Yeah. So um, it's um, TCPA policy, which basically um, it's, it's now been you know modified to cover many things that it wasn't originally intended for. But when you think about these lead aggregators that are, um, uh, out promoting a service to find you, the consumer, uh, maybe options for a mortgage or, or whatever that might be. I'm looking for rent a house or whatever, the, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, they're, they're doing all of this outreach, uh, often using uh, technology to do that, meaning recorded voice and mm -hmm. text messaging and um, uh, power dialers and things like that yeah. um, because they're in the business of generating the leads. Um, so recently, this you know, this TCPA Act is uh, has now been updated um, with some regulations that say that the marketer, in this case, uh, the person generating that lead, um, can only sell that lead to one individual business, um, and they have to sell it explicitly for that business's purpose. Um, and so, in other words, I can't uh, generate interest for 
topic or product A and then slip you in to a list for product B to call you on. And that's, that becomes now illegal. Um, this has big ramifications for marketers, um, but it also drives back you know, that point of to, uh, being in charge of your own lead generation. I, mean, I think augmenting leads with purchased leads is, is fine as, a, as mm. an augmented strategy. Um, but if that's your only thing, you know, a, a change like this can have devastating impact to you. Mm-hmm. It's uncertain still on this particular thing. What you know, what will happen? Um, there are ways to game that system still. It's also going to drive a bunch of kind of what I consider underground tactics. Meaning, um, because you can't do it in the United States, you're going to outsource all this robo dialing, you know, to the Philippines or somewhere else or India. It's not mm-hmm. going to change from the consumer's perspective. We're still going to have a broken system from the consumers. Um, perspective they're going to have a bad experience they're going to get peppered with calls that they don't want and and so on um so it's 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 um you know the ftc and fcc are kind of you know chasing this using this tcpa uh, as a tool to accomplish this goal of you know uh, keeping consumers from being spammed and and targeted and Mm -hmm. that makes sense and there's that's a very good objective is this the way that it's happening is uh uh, not as well thought out as it should be, um, but uh, at any rate, I think you know. You know um, there again, I mean, augment with that sort of a strategy, but own your own your own lead generation activities. Uh, become a lead generator, you know, by trade, and and uh, and then you're not beholden to something that changes or or escalating costs, right? And now, think about this. You know, depending upon how they go about this, the marketers are now either going to have to instead of being able to sell a lead to 10 to 100 people they yeah. can only sell it to one so supply and demand would say okay the cost of that lead's going to go up or they're going to start selling uh unqualified leads meaning potential interest or a potential lead mm-hmm. that you're going to bid or buy on that maybe the cost goes down but the quality goes down dramatically as well so how people how these businesses respond is still you know a bit uncertain but um, um i don't know it just underscores to me the the reason not to be riding that single horse. And similarly, on the paid, like you mentioned, like paid ads for social. I mean, um, I, we do a lot of that, and uh, it it feels like a black box. Often, I mean, mm-hmm. you, just, you, know, you pour money into it, you don't know what's going to happen if a competitor decides that they're going to throw a bunch of money in that month and mm-hmm. um, compete for the same keywords, search terms. All of a sudden, your you know leads dry up, or the cost goes way up, and so you just don't have control of that. And and uh, again, probably a necessary thing to to do that, but um, that can't be the only thing. Mm-hmm. Don't go anywhere. This is just a really quick word for our amazing sponsors over at Koyos. In a world craving customized solutions, Koyo stands out by offering tailored leadership solutions. Their cutting edge AI delves deep into personality insights. That empowers leaders and business owners to adapt their approach to each team member's unique psychological profile. What's the result? A surge in motivation and productivity that traditional one-size-fits-all methods, they just can't match. But they don't just stop there. Koyos crafts synergistic teams by bringing together diverse personalities, creating an environment where innovation isn't just something that's encouraged. It's going to be inevitable. Imagine being able to pinpoint exactly what your team is missing to perform at their best. Have a clear understanding of how a new hire will fit in. How to lead and get the best out of them quicker. 
And as the business landscape evolves, staying ahead means anticipating change. Koyos equips leaders with predictive insights, transforming team dynamics from reactive to proactive. With Koyos, you're not just navigating the future, you are shaping it. Koyos is helping us redefine leadership and unleashing our clients and your team's potential. Start your journey today and lead with confidence tomorrow. Hit the link in the description below and use code SUMMIT10 at checkout to receive 10% off your first three months. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, like as quick as you can, switch to like a full funnel, switch to, but build a full funnel approach. Like you yeah, should have. I, I think it's, a, you know, you, when you started this conversation, I think that it, it, you, you don't just want to just jump out and, and do a bunch of things, just yeah. willy-nilly trying them. I think to your point, you know, you start with a channel, develop at least a, a some sense of success there before you then stack on the next mm-hmm. one. And to me, it's kind of a stair step. Like you start maybe just for argument's sake, we start with paid ads. Um, you develop the the routine, the process, the controls around how to optimize those. And when you've achieved a certain um, a benchmark of success, and usually that's around kind of your acquisition cost, you know, per lead and, or against lifetime value, then move to the next you know, next rung and and layer on now a new strategy. Maybe that's a direct mail strategy or it's email or, you know, whatever that might be. But I think doing it in a sequential path where you've proven one before moving to the next gives you the best framework for success without um, them all just being kind of haphazard bets. Yeah. Well, and then just understanding, like you can get into paid ads, but you don't know what you're going to get out of it at first. So it's a good way to test test and yep. measure and you also get a lot of good data as far as like who's your market who's buying what buying what you know place in their buying cycle are they because uh, you get pretty direct data and you can use that information to then build on you know do more of a brand awareness strategy from there and but i mean when it comes down to it most i mean not all the time but a lot of it is just be really good at what you do <laughs> too and get referrals right that's really what in the end of the day that's what's going to build your brand especially these days when everybody like we said Everybody's so privy to information. You can get, there's 3,000 different review sites to get 3,000 reviews on somebody. And that that's your part, one of your best ways to build your brand. And then that's in change part of your marketing there as well. And that'll help. Then your, your ad costs will go down because now when people click on your ad, they're like, oh, who is this? They go to search you. They see good reviews. They see good testimonials. More likely to buy. Therefore, your ad costs go down. Absolutely, so there's, absolutely a requirement. Yeah, I mean, you have to have to do that. That's kind of the blocking and tackling of your business. And um, yeah, I totally agree. If you don't have good reputation, um, you can throw all the money in the world, but this is not going to be a sustainable thing for you. No. So, what would your advice be? You're you're a, you're a business, and you've had a lot of so. Well, to your uh, understanding, you've had a lot of success with maybe one or one and a half uh, lead um, lead revenue or lead generating avenues what would your advice be to them to stay flexible so that if you do need to pivot if a policy comes down or something changes um, you can make that pivot fairly quickly because there's something that you would maybe keep the they can exercise you'd have them do or you know a specific way they can experiment while they're having success over here yeah um i love that question um because maybe the answer is a little less intuitive. Um, I think, you know, there'd be some argument to say, well, just, you know, have other channels at the ready and, you know, maybe have your, your 
your assets or collateral ready to, to exercise other channels. But I think before that, the thing that businesses should do more of is better understanding where do their prospects hang out? Like you know, having a clear understanding of where, what are the channels that you can find them, even if you're not exercising that today, where are they? Um, and then also better understanding what is it that drew your current customers to you? What was the challenge they were having before they had awareness of you? In other words, you know, what frustration or pain did they have that caught them or got them to even look for you? Um, so understand that part of their journey. Um, what was it that when they found you that they felt like this could be a viable solution for them? Um, and what was that point once they started transacting with you, whether it was buying your product or service or whatever, um, that they realized that, yeah, this is, this is good for me. This is giving me value. And so by getting deeper into that understanding of the kind of behavioral and psychological uh, journey for the customer, um, that will help you understand, you know, where to find them and the appropriate messaging to use. And so, um, you don't necessarily have to have all of the creative done, but at least you, you're much further down the road and I think can jump to success much quicker in a new channel um, knowing those things. Yeah. Well, that's great advice is just understanding, completely understanding like the buying cycle. Like you should be an expert in your ideal client. And then in that information that you have and that knowledge that you have lies your ability to pivot quicker when needed. Right. Right. Got it. No, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. The, the traditional approach there is, you know, know your ideal customer profile or your buyer persona, mm. but yeah. those oftentimes shape the um, demographic details, right? They, where are they? Who are they by age? And, you know, the profile details, but not what really um, affects the behavior change and, and what, what are the, what's yeah. the arc that they're going through. Uh, that's the piece I think that is, uh, almost always missing is that understanding yeah. there's, like the there's almost always a, uh, an assumption around it. And, and that what I've seen a lot in small business in particular is that oftentimes you put out this picture of yourself as the ICP, right? You assume yeah. that, well, I would be drawn to this business and therefore all guys in their fifties with a family of my, you know, it, it just doesn't work that way. I had some, you know, years ago at the customer link experience, one of the cool things that we had was um, we had a direct tie to the transactional details of every one of our customers. So every night we got all of their transaction details. And so we could map, you know, who came in most often, who were the highest profit clients and so on. Mm -hmm. And um, and then we were able to use uh, demographic data that we had to start appending that to the, the person. So we could say, Geez, actually, you know, so a business would say, oh, we do really well with, you know, soccer moms. That's, that's our target. Mm -hmm. And through data, I'd be able to say, no, actually it's not. I mean, they're good, but they're not near your best customer. Your best customer, it looks like this. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, so um, it's a common trap for us to, I think, mirror ourselves or mirror our own opinions and use that as the, the benchmark. And, and oftentimes it's wrong. Oh, absolutely. There's a great case study of that exact thing. And it's seg uh, Segway. You remember the Segways? Yeah, the sure. Two wheel yeah. things. Yeah, this yeah. is very similar. They had this huge promise and everybody who was developing it, I can't remember the founder's name, rest in mm -hmm. peace, uh, 
they thought it was going to be this amazing thing. It's going to revolutionize the transportation industry. Sorry, you know his name? I think it was Kagan. I think his last name was Kagan. I he, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, okay. But they, I think that when they launched it, they came up to some catastrophic loss. Like, there's like the valuation was so inflated. They thought it was going to be this amazing thing, but they didn't do that much for how the, the promise that they were making, the right. lack of like MVP and market fit <laughs> testing that they did was astounding. And it came out and it really quickly went, and it, the most prominent place you'd see a Segway is like in a mall when they're trying to show you how you can go through the little right. mazes. You remember? Yeah, I remember right. that. It was, it was yeah, so yeah, I interesting. I remember. Uh, Crazy. You know, they, they teased it a lot, right? You, you didn't see it ever. They talked about this new thing coming, and um, I remember uh, the storyline was you know, everybody's going to be on this new device, and you yeah. know, <laughs> that's how we're going to move around, and and. Uh, yeah, very far from the truth, but very far. And then he ended up again. It's a sad. It is a sad story. It's a little ironic, but he passed away because he flew off a cliff on a Segway. That's right. That's right. Wild. It's yeah, yeah. It's a wild story. But now I think now the newest rendition of a Segway is those two little two wheeler thing that kids are on. Hoverboards, hoverboards, I think, or whatever it is. But it, anyway, sorry. I mean, that's a fun story. But it, that's a case study of like you. You just don't know until you right. go out and ask you test and measure right, right? And, and even if and, and to always there's there's a lesson that that somebody or a point that um, somebody had on my startup series they said like you should always be launching like so yes. you always want to be thinking like like relaunch right if you make a little improvement in something even if it's to you it doesn't seem like a big change in something but it could be a big change to your consumer what do you do when you launch something you put it out you get feedback right away find out what they think of it is again it might not even be a good fit for your current market but it is over here so now okay i guess we can start to market over here now too but you also to your point too your market could shift like your the psychography of your market could shift depending on what especially if you're like an in insurance or like in real estate as well like those types of the industry itself doesn't change hugely like there's policies and that kind of stuff that that'll change obviously but there's, it's still fairly predictable, but the psychography of your, like yeah. your, the psychography changes from generation to generation. This generation is more likely to be buying houses right now. That's different psychography than this generation. Like it's different. Like you should always be testing and measuring and seeing who, who you're catering to and who's, who likes your product and who doesn't like your product or service. Yeah. And I think Jeff Walker kind of popularized that always be launching. He has that product launch formula and, um, I mean, at its core, it's kind of the basic blocking and tackling is understanding yeah. your clients, understanding your value proposition and being able to articulate that and creating a uh, funnel, lead generation funnels. Um, I mean, that's, that's, you know, there's, there's a lot to that program, but yeah. you know, that's really the, the basis of it. Yeah. I like that mindset. Like you're always yeah. launching. Like it's, yeah. it's just, it, exactly. it makes, it emphasizes the intentionality behind it. Right. And I, I like that. I like that aspect of it. Because you're telling yeah. the team, all right, we're launching this. Like it's like a one megabyte change to our software. It's like, well, we're launching it. We're going to get feedback, and this is the process, <laughs> right? right? So no, right. I like that that mindset of it. So, okay, so we're onto the lead generation, uh, the marketing, and we want to be able to pivot. In order to pivot, we need to be able to really have a good hold on who the psychography and demographic of our customer is. When you're just starting out. What would be like if you're just you don't even know what your you know your lead where your leads are coming from, 
how do you do those tests? So again, there's so many different options and we talked about shiny object syndrome, right? There's so much out there. Where would you suggest that they start? And again, this would be different from industry to industry, maybe a little yeah. bit, but for the most part, where, where would you start if you're, okay, we need to get leads in. Where do I start? Um, I think that you can start from two perspectives, at least. I mean, one would be, uh, this would be the, the time when you do go off some intuition, right? You, you believe you understand the, the problem that you're solving with your business, your service or product. Um, and so, you know, generating a hypothesis and, and pursuing that and then testing against it and seeing what really happens. Who do you really draw in? That would be one. The other is most businesses are not coming up with a brand new novel idea. Some, you know, uh, And so there's the ability to look to your sides and look at competitors and uh, and see who are they drawing, where are they drawing them from, and use that as a, a kind of a first stepping stone. Um, you know, the, the the fact that they're already in business and they're surviving at the very least, if not thriving, mm -hmm. gives you an indication that they're able to draw in customers. So um, that there's a lot to be learned from from doing that. I think the caution uh, would be don't just follow them right don't don't copy it entirely mm -hmm. but understand where they're finding success and where they aren't um, and then apply your own value proposition to that got it no that makes a lot of sense we're not in high school anymore people forget that you can cheat on the test right you yeah. can you can look at other people what, what, what would your so what would your advice be to them so they're looking at their competitors or, or you know they're to them they're their competitors to their competitors they're probably not competing because you're just starting out but still you're in the same space when you're looking at them, how would you identify what what to copy and what not to copy? Like, there's some nuances there. I think you the things that I, them. yeah, no, I think the things that I would be interested in in copying is more just understanding what channels are they using to acquire people, where are they getting their message out, mm. um, understanding uh, the types of people they're drawing, and what and, you know, using that to to uh, test your own assumption about the people that you might draw to your business. Um, and so I think I'm, I'm more curious about where are they finding them? Who are they finding than trying to copy their value proposition? Because I mean, you're, every business yeah. draws people in based upon so many different elements. But and I, in automotive, when we used to work there, we had thousands and thousands of clients across the country. And there's always this concern like, oh, if I do the same marketing tactic as the shop down the street, aren't we just going after the same people? And I, my answer is no. I mean, in some cases you're going to have a little overlap, but people come to your business because of the brand and because of the experience they receive mm -hmm. and because of the price points and because of a number of things, right? Just how it makes them feel. And that differs from business to business. And so mm -hmm. even though there's two automotive repair shops in the same town, it doesn't mean you're drawing the same clientele. So figure out what it is that you do uniquely. Why is that appealing to your base and build on that? Um, so again, some people are very price conscious. Some people are convenience oriented. And so mm -hmm. finding your unique messaging and, and uh, proposition um, is not something to copy. That, that's likely going to lead you down the wrong path and, and you're not going to be able to sustain it because it's not authentic. So um, yeah, I think that's what I would look at. Yes. It's like, so you would say it's looking at almost your like leverage identifier. So what can I leverage? Obviously you're going after the same, uh, where are we finding them? How are we finding them? So where are the ideal customers hanging out? 
And then it's what, what's my differentiator? What's the leverage? What's the strengths that I have that I can leverage maybe against their weaknesses? Yeah. Yeah. Or finding just open space. Um, Mm-hmm. Again, that competitor may be um, presenting something that is uh, unique in its own right. It might be price performance, whereas you're like, no, I'm a, I'm a premium offering because of these mm-hmm. reasons. It's going to appeal to a different uh, segment of the, the audience. So um, I think it's just recognizing that and being thoughtful about that. And then, and then it's just test test, learn, and repeat, right? I mean, you just yeah. have to do a lot of reps. You've got to got to iterate yeah you can listen to all the stuff we're saying right now but best thing to do is test and measure (laughs) that'll you'll find out exactly what's working right well i think that's a good testament to because like a lot of businesses they're scared to niche down any more than they already have but i mean if you look at your direct competitors especially if they're close demographically going after similar client or customer pools I mean, you might want to, to your point, niche down even more if they're more on the yeah. price point. You you don't want to compete. You don't ever want to get into a price war with anybody because then you're just your commodity profits go down. Yeah. Neither yeah. all of you are screwed and then there's no competition and then the market sucks. Right? It's yeah. just it's not you don't want to do that. So you can pivot until your point like, OK, our niche is this type of person. Like if you're in the automotive industry, maybe they're over here, they're. They're focused more on just like family vehicles or, you know, whatever I'm not in, I'm not in the industry. So I'm just throwing stuff out there right now, but family vehicles. And then you're over here, maybe you're more in like the performance side of things or more luxury or specific, like I'm a Jeep guy now, apparently like, and there's, (laughs) there's car, um, car places, automotive upgrade places that only do Jeeps. Like that's pretty niche and it's pretty cool too. The stuff you can do to Jeeps, by the way, this is off topic is crazy. Did not realize it. And I have to learn this wave. And this whole thing, but anyways, but you can niche down and even like compare yourself to like the competitors and then, and find that open space. Like you said, like, I think that's great advice. And I just, I just think that a lot of people are scared to do that because they think, well, there's not as many people over there. Yeah. Well, and I, I love the concept of it. It becomes very um, efficient in terms of um, both how you run the business and you know, catering to one specific thing. You can get very focused and, and effective at it. Um, but even from a lead generation marketing perspective, um, far more cost efficient if you can niche down. The, the thing you just have to be thoughtful of, I mean, to your point about, is it too small? Um, generally, it's not, but it could be. And so that's where you know, doing a little bit of market research and, and validation around your assumptions uh, is, is helpful. I think a lot of times I think people almost overestimate how big they need their market to be too. <laughs> right. Like they, you don't, you don't need a hundred million people in your market or even 10 million people in your market, especially if you're a small business, right? right? To, to be successful, what you do need is if you, you can get, if you have a hundred thousand people in your market, but you have a great brand awareness, great brand story, great brand buy-in and consumer buy-in, and you just, you just capture a higher percentage of them. And you That's just right. create like the loyalty, like the customer loyalty. And now you have the customer loyalty. You provide a great service or product. You got referrals. So yes. you're, yeah. and then from the, you, you can take that over. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, re- that the referrals, that word of mouth is, is key. And, um, people tend to roll in the same circles, you know? And yeah. so mm-hmm. if you can get that niche and you can perform well, uh, you have a great opportunity to kind of create like this little local virality, right? We get this word of mouth mm-hmm. that can be super powerful. Well, then you can expand from there, right? You can like, uh, 
I don't know if Apple might be a great example of this, but I mean, they start out with an iPod. They're in the music, you know, the <laughs> right? So they, they saw, oh, people like to carry their music around with them. Let's create this thing. Sorry, you about to say something. No, I think it may just kind of trigger the thought. I mean, I think, um, especially for uh, small businesses, and I think about my experience as a startup, um, it's very tempting to chase everything and kind of have this horizontal approach yeah. that is super costly. It's, it's it, more often than not, that's going to lead to failure because you become, you know, uh, mediocre at a bunch of things, right? It, it's much more efficient to build depth, vertical depth in a given area, whether that be your segment or your service offering or product. And then based on success, start to stack out more horizontally, um, going wide, early unless you're really well capitalized uh can be a bad path being mediocre is really expensive because <laughs> you're constantly yeah. having to overpay to bring people in because you don't have that depth you don't have that full funnel yet you're just pay-per-click basically or i mean or paper lead whatever you're, you're doing if you're buying leads from that kind of stuff which i mean and there's some in some cases going the aggregator route depending on your industry is okay for that if you want to get into new market. I mean, you can just buy leads there and then slowly generate, and then you get referrals and that kind of thing. So there is a strategy for it. But to your point, if you're doing this, if you're horizontal, I mean, you're paying a lot of money oh, yeah. to be even somewhat it's... successful in every one of those places. And then you're so spread yeah. out, you can't go deeper. Or it's more difficult to go deeper right. in if you do pick one. Right? It's also very difficult to execute on that, right? Now, now, assuming you get those leads, and you know the promise is that you have all of this breadth, but in reality, somebody's going to come in and realize, ah, oh, it's really shallow. It really doesn't give me all of mm -hmm. that, you know, across this broad spectrum. Um, so it's it's twofold. I mean, it's very costly to acquire, and then very likely you're not going to be able to um, perform at the mm -hmm. at the level you need to. Yeah, there's there's an exercise we do with um, our clients. It's kind of a, a tailored approach. Uh, are you a Jim Collins fan? Have you read any of his? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so he's uh, heard of the hedgehog concept? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I love I love the hedgehog concept, but it's yeah. the, those three kind of intersecting circles, right? It's what are we most passionate about? What can be the best in the world at? And then what drives our economic engine? That's right. I mean, you answer those, you're probably most likely if you answer them honestly, you're not going to be super horizontal. You're going to find out what you can be the best in the world at. So what can you go the deepest in? What can you provide the most value in? And sometimes that's a pretty narrow niche. What are you most passionate about? So what are you more likely to stick with and get better at and become a master at, right? And then you decide what kind of, what drives your economic engine to make sure you're focusing on the right things and make sure that you're, you know, you're judging your success appropriately based on the long-term success of your business. Um, and if you do that, I mean, you're going to find where you where you lie. And if you stick with that, right, you'll find out really quickly, you know, where you where you can have the most success in. And Apple's another Apple's is such a great case study for most cases, <laughs> right? Is uh, but when just before Steve Jobs came back, they were selling everything. Like their product line was ginormous. Right. Like I saw right. a list of it, and I like I had to scroll. And the font wasn't that big. Like there was, he was huge. Then they were bleeding money everywhere because they were just sort of okay at most of that stuff. They got away. They're trying to compete with Xerox and all this. It was like crazy. Right. But then and he came in and he got rid of all that stuff except for like one computer. There were 16 different types of desktops and he cut it down to one. And then he went into, he got like the renewal phase 
right? Where you just, you just, let's just survive. Let's just get to where we are. He, he borrowed $150 million from Microsoft. I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall in that conversation. <laughs> but, uh, and they just, he had to cut it all. And they realized, but this is not what we're good at. This is not what we're best at. We're bleeding money everywhere else. We're successful here, but we're bleeding money over here, right? So let's just focus yeah. on what we're good on and just wait for the next opportunity. And then that's what they did. And then I, iPod came out and then everybody knows where Apple is now, but that's a good yeah. example of it, right? For sure. There's, there's, I mean, so many amazing uh, stories and learnings from Apple. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's challenging because um, the same uh, internal makeup that leads people to become entrepreneurs also is that thing that makes it very challenging for them because uh, we're a bunch of uh, ideators, right? And we're, and we're dreamers. And so there's all these ideas constantly floating around and, and it's also so easy to fall in love with your own ideas, right? So it feels like, oh, I want to chase this and I want to chase that. And um, it's hard to keep your focus. I mean, um, Jobs did that tremendously, you know, and there's a great lesson mm -hmm. there. But it's, um, it's very difficult for the average entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we're kind of crazy. I, I think I said that to somebody yeah. once too. Like we're kind of – to want to oh, – yeah to do this kind of to put ourselves, I mean, again, like there's, there's an amazing golden carrot at the end of it, like we've said, but to get there, the time in between is that's, it's rough. It's rough. It can be rough. Right. But you make it as easy yeah. as possible and don't try to do everything. <laughs> right. I think it requires a lot right of discipline, away. you know, oh, so as you're, huge. as you're doing your planning work, this is another, you know, just an aside, but something I'm passionate about is applying, you know, concepts that big businesses already understand or have been taught uh, to small business and, and allowing them to derive the value from it. And so this concept of, you know, um, having clarity around your vision for the mm -hmm. long term and being able to then back into that, you mm -hmm. know, and kind of a stepwise progression, like how do we get there? Uh, but, but spending the time to establish a lot of clarity uh, of what it is you want to achieve and, um, is very empowering because yeah. then at least you you know, have that North star, uh, it at least allows you to be more disciplined. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. that you will be, but it allows you to. And then it also allows all of your um, employees to understand where they're headed and to have the discipline to make decisions in their day uh, that yeah. hopefully keep you on course versus allowing you to veer off course. Yeah. Well, it, it makes it clear, and some people will say it makes they'll focus on the fact that doing that makes you clear on what to do, but even more importantly, it keeps you clear on what you should say no to and not do. Like what ideas That's should right. you just like, all right, I'm going to write that one over here in 10 years. I might look at it again type of thing, right? Maybe not 10 years, but yeah, you, you know what yeah. I mean? It's just knowing yeah. what not to do. Like that's so, that's probably more important than what to do in some, in a lot of cases, especially if you're that, you know, idea hungry entrepreneur type of thing is like eh, maybe we're, we shouldn't be doing this but to your to your point too i we, we actually have a client who when they came on they're like i'm just so busy in the data i'm doing 100 hours i'm spinning my wheels like i feel stuck you know i hire people then they leave and blah 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 and i'm like okay well like when you started your business where did you want this like what's your vision like what did you want to accomplish she's like i just i wanted i wanted a place that i could i wanted a business that i could pass on to my kids and i, I had a good living and I, I could, you know, take vacations when I wanted to and that kind of thing. I'm like, okay, so you didn't want like a three, she has like three stores now. She has like three chains or three stores, basically a, a, a what's it called? A franchise at this point. 
And I'm like, okay, so you're just growing for the sake of growing because that's just what you thought you're supposed to do. Like you get stuck in this inertia of like, it's not even, you don't even want that. Like, what do you, right? That is, that is a common, very common theme for uh, entrepreneurs, small business people. Like if you're not deliberate, you very well could build a business that you hate Mm -hmm. and, and you're then trapped or feeling trapped or feeling burnt out. Um, being intentional and thoughtful about your vision. And I, I would argue that the, you know, the vision she described was way too shallow, um, but you know, getting very specific about it mm-hmm. then allows you the ability to go manifest that. And so um, there's a, a book by Cameron Harold. I don't know if you've heard called vivid vision and, and it's a, a model that I've used a number of times and it, um, all of these are tough for small businesses because you're in the throes where you're just trying to pay the bills and, and you know keep the business moving. But um, when I got turned on to this, it was actually called a different. It was called a painted picture. It was kind of the precursor to vivid vision. But the premise was, you know, I took um, like a half day and uh, sat in my backyard with a bunch of big pieces of uh, poster board and paper mm-hmm. and just started writing down thoughts around every little piece. Like what do I want the business to feel like when you walk into it? What do I want the customer's experience to be like? What do I want the press to be saying about me? What do I want? All these little things, right? I mean, the, yeah. down, down to the very, very granular pieces. I mean, how did, did I want it to feel light and airy? I mean, and what, you know, does it feel mod? All these things, because the more clarity you can create for yourself around what that looks like in the future, then it becomes really easy, not only for yourself to chart a course towards it, but it also allows you to um, share that with your employees, with your partners, with mm-hmm. clients, and and you start grab, you start bringing in more of the people that are aligned with that on all sides, mm-hmm. and um, and I felt like that was a big unlock for me. Like it, it was, it went from just being, you know. Uh, focused on trying to build more revenue or, or build a better, whatever better business, you know, means um, to being very mm-hmm. intentional. Like, this is what I want to achieve. And here's the time frame. And so then we could set goals. And, and uh, to me, that kind of became a force multiplier uh, for me and the, and the whole team to rally around a singular vision. So it's something that I do now uh, consistently. I carve out the time to do it, even though it sometimes feels like it's not the most important thing. I think it really is. And uh, mm-hmm. so anyway, that, that's, that's key. Um, getting clarity. No, well that that's huge. Cause then you start asking different questions, right? So if, if she had done that type of exercise beforehand, she would have been much more clear in what she wanted to do. So instead of, okay, we need to increase revenue. We wouldn't have, okay, let's just open another store, right? Cause growth right. doesn't mean more profit. It just means more stores right it's just yeah right more more headache well well, that's what i was going to say but i was trying to keep it positive but you're right there's more headache it's more more possibilities of things going wrong you're more disattached from you know you can't be in both places at once but she wouldn't have asked okay i need to get bigger how do i open another store she would have said okay how can it be more efficient profitable in my current location right Right. so yeah start asking different questions and you're solving different problems yeah absolutely um yeah, it's just easy. It's re- it's very easy just to kind of be on the treadmill and doing mm-hmm. what feels like the right thing, but without any intention around it. And and um, 
yeah, that can also often lead you in the in the bad spot. Yeah. Well, I mean, ex- exactly. Because then she can go Google or somebody can go Google. How do I grow my brick and mortar business? And then the first thing that come up, it could be like open more stores. It's like, oh, okay. It's you know. But if you're not clear, and also that's like, an important thing. Don't do that. First of all, don't just Google your business advice. <laughs> Find a mentor. Right to our point yeah. earlier. Find somebody. Yeah who can be on your side that's been there before has the knowledge has the experience and ask to get their counsel but first before you can do that and if they're good they will help you get clear on what type of business yes. you want what's your vision and that kind of thing but ideally do that before the inception of it right so you're much so, more clear so so important i um I, I love mentors and coaches and and peer groups mm-hmm. i thrive on that um mm-hmm. and i found that to be probably the most powerful uh, tool that I've had um, in my journey, at least, um, being able to go is because the other thing about a small business or an entrepreneur is it's very lonely. Right? You're you often can't talk as openly as you'd like, you know, with your employees. You can't maybe even do it with your spouse because mm-hmm. sensitivities around it. And and you know, if you, if you have investors, it's hard to do it there because they have an expectation and. and right. So it, so it can be this um, lonely spot. And so having a mentor, having a coach or a peer group where you can go and be vulnerable and share experiences and leverage the collective genius of, of a group is, uh, is game-changing, I think. No, it's, it's going to be your biggest indirect ROI that you could possibly invest in, right? It's, it's that. And then, obviously, I mean, I guess that we go in the same category, but like your own, your own skill development, your own knowledge, and that, you know, yeah. to read, like put the time in to read books. And then if you do read the books, implement, like take actionable takeaways and actually do the stuff. I saw your post earlier. Like I 100% I, I 100% agree. I saw your post. I wanted to, I was, I was going to throw it in earlier, but I, this is, a, this is a great, great, great time. Well, because like I, so I, even I got stuck with, and this is like a whole personal development thing. We'll end on this, but it's almost like this, we get stuck in these vanity metrics, right? And I, I talked to somebody about this before, but we get stuck in the vanity metrics and, and that could include how many books did you read this year? Well, I read a hundred books. What did you take away from it? Well, I really like this one book. Okay. So out of a hundred books, you remember the one book. Now out of that one book, what did you, what did you implement from that book? What did you learn? It's like, well, you know, it was about leadership and how, you know, there's five levels of leaders and this kind of thing. I'm like, okay, cool. What level leader are you? And like, whatever. You see what I'm getting at though? Like yeah. we get stuck in these vanity metrics. So, and, and I, I got stuck in that too, where three, four years ago when I started really taking, um, just reading books. Seriously, I was getting most of my education on YouTube and mentors and that kind of stuff, which is great. But I wanted to intentionally start start reading. And I was like, okay, I'm going to read a book a week for a year. And was, I did it. I did. I've read about 60 something books that year. So I, there's a few tiny books in there. So I was able to get it. But and then I asked myself, I'm like, all right, I had a notebook and I'm like, what, what if this did I implement? What did I learn? I probably only really took away a lot from maybe three or four of them. Right. So being intentional around the way you learn. And now I maybe read 10 books a year, but I'll fill up an entire notebook and I will create a, try to create a course between, you know, on a subject matter mixed with the experience I have and the stuff I'm doing with clients and that kind of thing. And I'll try to teach it in any way I can. I'll repurpose it. So you can really internalize it and make it your own and then utilize it. But I just think people are that intentional about it. They're just like, "I, I read 20 books this week. It's like, cool. Yeah, you do I love that? that process you're going through. I mean, I find the same thing. I, I I read business books in particular, like at a crazy clip. I I, I just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
my wife teases me all the time about it, but, but I, I, uh, I, yeah, I enjoy it, but there's times when I'm reading and I pound through a book and I, you know, I glean things along the way, but then it's just right out the backside, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's lost. Um, and I think being far more intentional about um, taking the moment to stop, write down those key takeaways somewhere else, maybe think about how I'm going to then, how and when I'm going to utilize that. Um is far more productive. I mean, you could read three books or one book and, uh, yeah. and actually take action and, and be much further ahead than just uh, pounding through the pages. Yeah, like I'd rather, and also just like what book, like being understanding, this is what I want to learn. This is what I need to develop. This will be the highest value, you know, right. weakness I need to, you know, upgrade or whatever, whatever it is. And then go research and find books on that or learnings on that. And then I got rather somebody come to me and said, yeah, I found these perfect five books and I read them 50 times. And I read these 50 books. once, Right. Like I was like, that would be more productive to me. I was with my mastermind group last week down in Austin, Texas. And, uh, um, I came away amongst a bunch of other pages of notes, but I came away with, you know, I think six or eight books that were recommended to me. And it's kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll read them just cause I enjoy that. But, uh, I have to remember what was the intention behind yeah. that recommendation. Why was this, you know, a magical book for somebody else and see if I can mm-hmm. find that piece and take away. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a tactic. Well, I mean, to- yeah. And then, I mean, again, I read eight books this week. It's like, cool. But then it's also, don't be afraid to like, when you do buy a book, I get their, they're an investment, you know, 15, 20 bucks, whatever it mm-hmm. is. If you get a book and you're like, okay, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. This isn't what I need right now. Don't, be afraid to go put it back on the shelf, save it for another time and get yeah. another one out or resell it or yeah. whatever it is. Cause there's also, you have to be careful of books these days. Cause there's a lot of books. Like I'm, I'm writing oh a book and my fear, my fear is that people are going to read it and then think it's just part of their sales cycle. Cause there's a lot right. of those. They're just marketing there tactics, is. right? More more. So you got you to, you got to, you got to be careful. That's why, you know, I, I love the Jim Collins where he studies to read a book, to educate people. Patrick Lanchoni. Uh, Robert Cialdini, Max, um, John C. Maxwell, um, Dan Sullivan, you know, there's, there's, there's so many of them that they they just want to educate you. Uh, Robert Greene's another, another great one. I mean, there's so many of them, right? But just be careful (laughs) what what books you're reading, because sometimes they're just, just feel like QR codes and, hey, buy my stuff. Hey, buy my stuff. Hey, this is just, but. Yes, there's uh, more and more of that. I mean, it's becoming so much more accessible, both with you know the ability to self-publish and and also this the kind of trend of people using AI to write their book for them. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's I've noticed that, and it's starting to get you know maybe a better eye for it. I start to figure that out earlier earlier in the cycle of the read. But uh, you know, back to your point about kind of you know going through them, I, I dog ear my books like crazy as I read them. And so even if I don't take action on it now, I make little notations on those about the topics I can go back to and reread it or, or maybe share it with somebody else. Yeah. I mean, these tactics might not work for everybody. Like those that are listening to this, those might not be the best way for you to retain information, but find out what yours is. And then like what what my uh, dad used to do when he was studying for nursing school, he would read something out of the text. He would read a couple pages and then he would put the textbook down and then he would rewrite, try to rewrite it, everything that he learned without looking at it in his own words. And then that would help him retain it better as repurposing it <laughs> in your own. Right. So like 
Well, that that might say work that. for you. I was just having this conversation with my son. My son's a, a pre-med uh, student, and um, I was asking him uh, last week, actually, about you know, how do you go about studying? Because um, that was my method. I think your, you, your dad and I must have gone to the same school or something. Because <laughs> I, I do the same thing. I go through the learning process or the reading. I try to recreate my own notes. Yeah. Even my notes from classes, I would recreate those um, into a nice format that distilled down what I needed most. And then from there, I would even go further often to create maybe flashcards or things on the areas where I had the most weakness. And so I could yep. really shore that up. Um, I found for myself, that was a, a great mechanism. I was talking to my son about that. And he's like, oh, no, this doesn't work for me at all. I do this, this, and this. And, um, and I, I guess that's the, the point is finding what works for you, finding the, the process for you to get information and make it actionable. And, and so therefore, you know, finding real benefit in it versus just reading it for reading's sake. Yeah. They say like a master of the material can distill a book into a five minute speech. Cause you know it enough that you can distill it down to its most effective parts and then communicate it yeah. to a crowd and they would get the most effective parts out of yeah. it. So if you yeah, can do that, absolutely. I think you got it. <laughs> Just yeah. simple, simple yeah. stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But Mark, yeah. uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I feel like we could keep talking. I had another subject that we could have, so maybe this, there needs to be a part two. Um, been an absolute pleasure. Love You're it. very good at what you do. You're very knowledgeable. And I look up to you greatly, especially all of your content on LinkedIn. But there's a question that I ask everybody uh, at the end of these interviews. And that is for you, Mark, what is the next summit that you are chasing? Mm. So um, it's a great question. And I, so I had that mastermind last week and we were talking about that concept of, you know, your greatest strength lies right next to your greatest pain. And, and what is that next summit? Um, used a mountain analogy, but, uh, but it, it, it um, I think I'm getting more clarity that it, it really is that experience that I shared earlier about experiencing what, you know, the entrepreneurial lifestyle and challenges and being hyper-motivated to help people find success in it. And so, um, yeah, my next summit is going deeper on the things that I have been doing over the last 20 plus years. Um, and, and really leaning in to help small businesses you know, compete and win. I think at the end of the day, small businesses, despite being engines of our economy, we all know that. But beyond that, I believe they're the glue of our cultures and our local societies. And I want to leave an imprint there. I want to at least uh, help influence people to be successful. I love it. I love it. And our missions align perfectly. So if there's anything we can do to help each other, I am absolutely all for it. Um, Mark, where can everybody find you? You don't have a, why don't you have a podcast, by the way? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've been uh, starting to spin up a little bit more content on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place to find me. Um, but um, yeah, I was just thinking about that. I, I want to be able to do it with, with enough energy and consistency. I think that's the next step. And I, mm -hmm kind of see it as, um, you know, spending a lot of time with small business owners uh, talking about their challenges and their, mm. uh, their wins and strategies. And uh, so that's coming. Uh, not sure when, but it's, it's, it's coming. It's becoming more and more real to me. And in the meantime, I put out quite a bit of content on LinkedIn around uh, uh, my thoughts and experiences and failures and, and uh, everything in between. I love it. And we'll link his LinkedIn uh, in the, 
description down below. Uh, go check him out. Like I, I pay attention to all of his stuff. He puts out a lot of great content, very knowledgeable individual. But again, we're going to have to get a part two going because there's lots more that we can talk about. But Mark, again, thank you so much for coming on. And to everybody who is still listening or watching, keep chasing your next summit. Thanks, Zach.